Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Curious Competitor Podcast. I'm your host today, current New Jersey Devils defenseman, Connor Carrick. Our guest would have had a great hockey name if he decided to go into that world. Jeffrey Wu. He is the CEO and founder of HVMN, Health Via Modern Nutrition, uh, which popularizes ketones. Uh, he also has his own podcast, HVMN uh, Podcast. But I really wanted to pick his brain in particular today uh, because he champions this concept of metabolic flexibility, which is something I'm trying to personally learn about. But how he came from this computer science background, which he graduated with uh, from Stanford University, and how he's going into the world of trying to elevate the quality of human life, how to elevate the quality of human health. Uh, so stay with us today as we talk about how he operates as a high-performing individual, as a high-performing entrepreneur. Uh, and thank you for joining us wherever you are in the world today. Let's do this. Jeffrey Wu, welcome to the Curious Competitor Podcast, man. I'm uh, I'm super excited to have you on the show because I love talking, or I guess reading personally about anything I can get my hands on, like the entrepreneurial world. I'd like to think if I had failed as a hockey player, I'd want to find myself there. That's what my dad did uh, for a living. And then I also have an interest in, you know, sort of the biohacking, modern nutrition world. I am, I am starting to educate myself the best I can so I can be a more uh, knowledgeable uh, consumer. And I think we have a cool meeting uh, between, you know, those couple points. And I'm hoping you have some interest in athletics and I'm always open to uh, questions from your end. But HVNMN, Health Via Modern Nutrition, that's your baby. And how do you end up in the entrepreneurial world uh, in nutrition, given your background in computer science with Stanford? Awesome. Hey, Connor, thanks for giving me the platform here. Um, and just from a like a context perspective, yeah, I think through this opportunity able to work directly with elite athletes elite operators on the military side i just see a lot of overlapping just ambition right i think entrepreneurship being an elite athlete being an elite military operator shares a lot of the same dna right and i think i see really good crossover from a sport career into a business career i think if you're you know have multiple things going on i think i you're gonna have definitely have the right skill sets um, for me, I definitely came into the business world from a more academic computer science approach. So uh, similar to you, my parents were entrepreneurs. So I always had this sense that running or creating something from scratch was possible. And I think that's definitely, I think, lucky. I think maybe I'm curious to get your sense in terms of becoming a professional athlete. I imagine that a lot of kids growing up, it's like, oh, that would be cool. But I don't know anyone has done that. So I think just having early role models as kids is very, very helpful in terms of setting the ambition, the goal high. Um, but yeah, I grew up in Southern California, a math science nerd, was you know into athletics, but mainly into athletics to get into a good college. So grew up playing tennis. Uh, uh, it was definitely the area of the world where a lot of the best tennis players were being trained and brought up. So I got to play decently serious tennis. Pete Sampras, for folks who are, I guess, old enough to remember that guy, he was one of the best tennis players. His uh, high school tennis trophies were on our high school wall. I remember seeing cool. Maria Sharapova play when she was like in, like when she was like 16, 17, I think she's a couple years older than us. So definitely was among uh, that, 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 that crowd in terms of athletic prowess. But my focus in athletics was primarily as a tool to get into a good college. So very much like, I don't know if it's, I don't want to be overly stereotypical, but like whether it's like Asian or just like very studious minded, that was kind of a tool to get into, uh, you know, elite schools. Um, but I think just in terms of the entrepreneurial journey, uh, one way I think about opportunities is to maximize leverage and the ability to use computer science to reach people at scale, just like this podcast, like we're having a one-on-one -on -one conversation, but hopefully thousands, tens of thousands of people, millions of people can take some of the lessons that we talk about here and we have that leverage. So that's, I think, is just an important principle that I always think about how to maximize our individual leverage. And I think computers are absolutely one of the best platforms over the last 10, 20 years to maximize leverage. So it seemed like a very good skill set. And 
as I started Healthy and Modern Nutrition HVMN, it was right at the, uh, the, the I would say the crossover point within Silicon Valley where people were looking to apply these engineering, these technical principles towards human performance. And we're just starting to see the technological and science innovation enable where you can actually increase human performance, increase metabolic health, increase uh, longevity. Can we actually tractably, seriously tackle the, the, the topic of anti-aging? So I think that was a kind of the cultural milieu where I wanted to personally just explore the space. So I had been in the software app uh, game after I graduated from Stanford, I actually sold my first company to Groupon back in 2013. So I had a little bit of resources to kind of sit back and think about the better, bigger problems I wanted to solve. And this idea of enhancing and making better humans seemed very interesting, especially when some of my smartest colleagues from Stanford were making computers or machine learning algorithms really, really good for Facebook and Google to like rot your brain. I thought it was, uh, why aren't smarter aren't, aren't my smart friends working on making humans better? And that was the predication behind the initial personal exploration with HVMN, starting with uh, cognitive enhancement. And then as we eventually got a lot of traction and momentum, uh, there's just so many aspects of human performance or human metabolism that we can actually affect. And, and that's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm in the middle of that journey right now. Relate to so much there. I think uh, the stubborn will as an entrepreneur is something I've always admired. You know, the desire to, um, frankly, make shit happen and, and take responsibility for your baby, th this idea. Um, similarly, I think growing up, my mom might have been team Connors playing hockey just to get into a division one school. And my dad, on the other hand, was, you know, yeah, sure, Deb. Like, that's exactly what we're doing with real dreams to play in the National Hockey League. And I think that as a young player, that's how I, I operated. There was, I would tell people, you know, I remember uh, eighth grade, I stood up. It was like, hey, you know, Connor Carrick, who are you? Please introduce yourself to the class. I stood up and I said, hey, I'm Connor. I've got two younger brothers. Uh, I'm going to play at the U.S. development team someday. I'm going to go to Michigan. And after that, I'm going to play in the National Hockey League. So two of those three things were true. I had a scholarship to Michigan and four passed it, uh, gave it up. But I think I want to thank you for swimming upstream and trying to take this noble route of trying to make humans better. Cause I understand the power, or I think I have an idea of the power of the, the brilliance that comes out of Silicon Valley. And I'm guilty of it. I've been zombie face staring at my phone and things like that. Uh, but when you take on this task of making humans better, making people better, I am rooting for you both as a consumer. I was a kid that my own health journey. I grew up on Fruit Loops marshmallows and, you know, now I'm grass fed all the way, wild game, you know, uh, trying to supplement the best I can as a, as a pro athlete. So it's been a fun journey, but the break in the dam for me had to be, you know, in the last two years or so, I think consumers are hungry for the type of product and the type of work that you're doing. I think it was the first beer ad I'd ever set, I'd ever seen that listed the ingredients. I think it was like Bud Light or someone had, had listed the exact ingredients in a 12 ounce can. And I was like, wow, people really do care what they're using for their body, what they're using for their performance. Think of this in a quantitative perspective, right? When you have a prescription drug, right? That's like milligrams that you take once a day in a pill form. And that has profound impact on your health and metabolism. Like clearly like drugs, pharmaceuticals work. So think about the amount of grams, kilograms of food that you consume multiple times a day through your entire lifetime. And I think if you put, uh, if you look at like the original, what's considered the founder of medicine, Hippocrates, a Greek philosopher, medical practitioner, one of his best sayings, I think that's continued to resonate is food is medicine, medicine is food. And if you think of what you put into your body, regardless of how they're classified, Right. If you think about classification of molecules of compounds, like what is the actual difference between a pharmaceutical, a scheduled illegal recreational drug, or a supplement or a food? In all, in 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 an abstract sense, if an alien looked at the world, these are just all exogenous molecules that are used to drive some form of metabolism in our bodies or some uh, coenzyme to support metabolism. Right. Like it's arbitrary then why some are illegal, some are recreational, some are pharmaceuticals, and some are food. 
So I think if you think from a, again, from a first principles or an engineering perspective, then it just very much makes sense that you should be just as thoughtful about the drugs you take and the food you take and supplements you take, because these are essentially the substrates that drive your performance. And I think just from my engineering background, I think a lot of what you learn from a systems approach is that your inputs drive your outputs. And I think about this in terms of the content I look at, the information I read, right? If you just read and take in garbage into your brain, you're gonna have garbage ideas coming out. And the same thing with food. If you just input garbage, yes, our bodies are pretty adaptable to convert that garbage into reasonable lean muscle tissue, but why not give it like optimal fueling, especially as you understand that nutrition and, and that metabolism. So in that sense, I think, uh, I, 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 I'm hopeful that this continues to be a trend because if we continue at the status quo, I mean, I think hopefully your audience is pretty fit, obviously, you know, from a health perspective, but we're in bad shape as a country. Like yeah. Americans, three quarters of us are overweight, obese. One third of us are pre-diabetic. 88% of us have metabolic dysfunction. And like, I think, you know, I'm based in San Francisco, group in Los Angeles. I would say that there's definitely more of a focus on fitness, but you know, I've been around different, you know, uh, as part of the job, visiting different military bases in kind of flyover country. And man, like, it's like a different universe of what humans look like there versus humans look like here. And if we, you know, if you talk to some of the senior folks in the military, when you're talking about recruitment for even soldiers, like, over half of our young people cannot even qualify to enter basic because they're literally like cannot pass baseline boot camp physical requirements. And I think that's just scary from a country, society, national security perspective. It's like literally like we are so uh, weak as individual physical specimens. Well, I think there's a good argument that we're intellectually have higher leverage than ever with social media, with all of this stuff, but we can't forget there are also physical animals at the end of the day. And I just want to uh, encourage, like I obviously come from a computer background, like yes, take advantage of all the technology, right? Take advantage that we can learn from every single human on this planet now, right? Like hundreds, thousands of people can tune into this conversation, hopefully take something away from here, but also don't forget like, the ancestral basics of being a fit, resilient human being, especially with a pandemic going on. This podcast, we do talk with, I talk with a lot of, you know, teammates and athletes for younger athletes to give advice and things like that. But I'm also trying to shed light on, uh, I'm a big proponent of mental health. You know, I, I have some uh, mental health leaders, I guess, in the industry that come on and, and share different techniques and, and things that they can pull out of their toolbox uh, to, to elevate your, your mood and your well being and frankly, the, the interface with which you go through the world, but also on the physical side, I'm, I'm reflecting even today, like we're in the middle of a training wise, you know, training camps coming up, you know, hopefully January 13th, it looks like could be the opening date for the national hockey league, which for the New Jersey devils would look like a December 31st start. So that's coming up. So our volume is pretty high and you're catching me on a Thursday. So Monday, I've been going Tuesday, I've been going Wednesday, I've been going Thursday morning. We, you know, we got after it today, you know, mentally I'm not as sharp or as with it as I was earlier in the week. And that's just a training, uh, you know, stimulation that that's, a, an effect that I accept and am, am hungry for the result, you know, after and I'll, I'll get after it tomorrow and, and recover on the weekend. But I just consider like all of the, I'm very grateful for the physical advantages I've had and the physical incentives I've had over the course of my life and my career. I get paid to stay in shape. And I, I relate to the average kid that goes to college where it's social norm to drink four or five, six nights a week. Yeah. Like I, I got a brother in college who goes to Trinity College out in Hartford and I'll call him and be like, hey bro, how you doing? What's going on? How you living? Hey, just... Just to remind you, like, it's not normal to drink alcohol six nights a week. Uh, stay safe out there. <laughs> you know, like given like, uh, you know, sort of cheap parental sort of guidance. And I think, um, I think we will see a return to health. I think people recognize the greater mental clarity about how movement, you know, is, is medicine. And I'm curious, like, what are your personal goals because there's these two levers. One, there, there's the performance side and sort of the longevity side. 
And I know a lot about the performance side. I know next to nothing about the longevity side, which I understand is a little bit more of a developing uh, industry. Yep. Um, what are your personal goals? You know, I know I follow you on Instagram. I see hard to kill, you know, is this mantra, which, you know, I plan to embody when I'm done playing. Like, I, I love that. Um, what is your, you know, personal goals? And when you think of trying to elevate people's health, what exactly through your company, through your message, uh, would you like to continue to see the the growth in? Yeah. So I think fortunately, most of the things that you do that are for enhancing performance oversect or intersect with longevity. Although at the very, very extreme ends of performance, then you see some bifurcation or orthogonality of what of it is something that you know, pushes you that extra 1% might not necessarily be good for overall longevity of that athlete. So fortunately, most of us are not making those decisions. So it's not going to be like a huge problem to consider. But I think like the main takeaway that I think about is I think, I think the harder to kill statement, I think captures both nicely, right? I want to be harder to kill if some bad person wants to try to kill me. I want to be harder for that person to literally kill me. But I also want to be harder to kill from, from father time. Um, if I can stave off time from killing me, that's great too. Can I push off chronic disease? Can I push off all the things, the, the, the cases of morbidity or things that cause us to slow down over time? So um, then when I think about, okay, so if that's the goal, being harder to kill, both from a physical uh, insult as well as father time from chronic disease, what are the levers that I can control? So diet, sleep, exercise, and then our environment are like the lowest hanging fruit, right? And these are things that we have to do something about every single day. In, in the sense that if you choose not to exercise, it's not like a lack of exercise, it's literally you're choosing to be uh, sedentary, right? If you are choosing not to sleep, it's not like you just skip that, uh, that, that, that pillar. It's just like you're literally choosing one hour of sleep a day. Um, so, and then obviously from a nutrition side, I mean, that's just like, what we focus on with HVMN. And I think low hanging fruit to start is one of the biggest things that I've observed is that there's too much refined carbohydrate in our daily nutrition. And I think this has come from just how the food system today has been developed. So my contention is that, is that the modern food system, it was designed to solve a 19th century problem. And what was that 19th century problem? That 19th century problem was famine. What was the biggest killer of humans was starvation and famine, uh, aside from war, right? So it was like literally famine killed people and then war killed people. Fortunately, I mean, basically it is, famine is a solved problem besides some transportation issues at the last mile, right? Like there are literally enough shelf stable preserved calories that are very, very cheap that exists on this planet. And everyone in America, everyone in first world countries basically have an overconsumption problem of food. And now of course there are some areas of the world that are starving, but it's mainly like a transportation or a political problem rather than like an availability of food problem. So, and that's great. So our, we've solved that problem famine, but now we need to solve the new problem, right? The new problem is obesity, metabolic syndrome, diabetes. And those are all diseases of chronic overconsumption. So that's where we advocate being in a state of ketosis, which is an alternate metabolism that your body goes into when there is a, a kind of a starvation mode. And why starvation mode is kind of interesting is that our bodies were designed to go through feast and famine cycles. And I think especially with athletes, you are supposed to exert yourself to a point where you need to recover, right? You wanna have that adapt, adaptation to stress. And then once you recover from the adaptation, you get stronger. That's what exercise does on improving performance perspective. But that same challenge can also happen on your metabolism through nutrition. So if you're constantly over consuming carbohydrate, you never dip into ketosis, you never dip into your fat burning state, which is the, which is like the colloquial term for ketosis. So what we think is a more optimal way to live is just regularly, regularly dip into ketosis, either through restriction of carbohydrate, increasing activity physically, so you actually burn through your stored carbohydrate, or do something of fasting or have exogenous ketones. And I think that's where we are pushing the nutrition space forward. And this, 
mindset, this philosophy is like is starting to translate into elite performers, especially on endurance athletes. You see a lot of Tour de France teams, a lot of Ironman athletes, you know, triathlon athletes already implementing this at like the at the super high end. And we start seeing team sports like hockey, like football, like basketball, looking to integrate some of this into their cyclical uh, nutrition, where just like I think from an athletic perspective, it makes sense you have training blocks that focus on different skill sets or different types of cadence, right? You go anaerobic or aerobic, and there's like, these are these set training blocks. The interesting question is that why doesn't these uh, cyclical blocks also exist for nutrition? And that question is actually starting to be answered now, right? You would stack your training protocol that focus on anaerobic versus aerobic with nutritional cycling that matches that type of metabolism. And some of the most forward-leaning groups are starting to implement cyclical nutrition on top of cyclical training. Yeah, I was talking with uh, Sam Gibbs, is the gentleman's name I was consulting with out of Toronto, uh, one of the leading sports scientists I've been introduced to. And we were talking about that actually right at the end of the season. This was, you know, I had known of the concept. It was the first time it had really been preached to me, but he's like, uh, you know, Connor, I want you to totally, uh, this was, you know, during COVID time, so it was a little bit of an odd, uh, you know, postseason swing, but he's like, I really want you to enter the end of, uh, metabolic state of like, eat good, but really enjoy your food. Really sit there. Eat quite a bit. Like, I, I almost want you to eat maybe we're trying to get you a little fat and happy. Like after being through this chronic stress of all this travel and all this season, he's like, there'll be a time. He's like, but you know, if you get up a little bit, you know, I, I usually played around, um, I'm five ten, you know, 198, you know, pounds. He's like, you get up to 200, 205. Like you'll be able to shave that off, uh, you know, you know, quite quickly. Uh, but metabolically it's, it's very healthy for this particular circumstance. And I did some blood work alongside it to, to further the investigation. And it was really difficult as an athlete. Like I, you know, it was like, ah, but I need to earn my food. I need to be in alignment that way. And it was interesting to listen to, you know, sort of the nutritional, you phrase it as cadence. Uh, and I do think as athletes, we are trying to, that's been the model, right? We go and we see our skating coach. We go and see our nutritionist. We go and see our strength coach. We go and see our, you know, our team practices, trying to bring that all under one roof you know, with a bird's eye view with a, you know, sort of a yep. master sports sciences view. And I'm, I'm so excited to see, I'm a nerd for this stuff and have been for a long time, but I'm so excited to see sort of the evolution of it. Um, you know, it started out as, as like load management and that's fine, but I'd like to see it go the other way where just with the use of sports science, we're able to create these super freak athletes that night after night after night, there's, you know, minimal recovery, um, yeah. sort of blips. Yeah, no, I think that's exciting. And I think it's, uh, I mean, I think what you, you, you know, the, the sports scientist you were consulting with has some merit there where you need to control the amount of stress or adaptation hormesis you expose at a given time, right? If you expose too much stress, then you break the body, the right stress, you have maximal adaptation and not enough stress, then you don't have any adaptation. You don't improve. So, I think that's where nutrition becomes an important lever because nutrition is and can be our hermetic stressor. And you should think about that alongside all the other things you're doing, including activity load. So I think that is, again, um, I always find that like the cycle of innovation is bundling and unbundling, right? I think back probably when sports was more amateurish, you had just like one maybe coach, right? Like, if you even were coached, right? Like professional sports is actually kind of a novel phenomenon, right? Like there was just no money in professional sport until like literally TV rights in the last 30, 40 years. If you just look at the history of sport, it's just basically gentlemen athletes who are rich, who could like literally uh, like not have to do a job and practice their sport as like a gentleman. Um, and now it's like, literally these are like super specialized freaks of nature from like a very, very little kid. Now you see like a, Bun a deep bundling of all the expertise, right? Again, as you're saying, the nutritionist, the chiropractor, the massage therapist, like the doctor, the you know, the the the, the technique and skills coaches. Um, but I think as you unbundle, I think now it goes back to that full swing. Can you rebundle this all into a holistic framework? And I I think we're starting to see that shift back, where you see human performance departments that integrate nutrition, strength and conditioning, all reporting to the same roof. 
So when you work with uh, different professional athletes and you're discussing the needs for really what we want out of our foods, what we want out of your products, like what are some of the goals that you're trying to achieve with your high-end athletes or I, just out of similarity's sake, uh, your military personnel as well? Yeah. Um, and and I, I guess a, an easier point of entry is a lot of our audience understands that, you know, if they follow me and, and, and my page, I do try to introduce some of the nutritional concepts yep. uh, that I'm a fan of, but the whole concept, and I've done it for, you know, even in season months at a time, gone extremely low carbon to a fully like cyclical ketogenic diet. So maybe we can discuss a little further on what exactly that is, how we can get there and, you know, what sort of the uh, pros and cons might be of, of living there for a bit. Yep. So I think the interesting thing between the different types of sports actually dictates what you might consider as optimal training or nutrition blocks. And it's like pretty interesting that I would say that like military is more similar to a team sport like hockey or soccer or football than like an individual, an individual event sport like a marathon in the sense that for an individual marathon sport, you are peaking like for one event for like the entire year, right? Like you're going to compete in the Olympics. You just need to perform for one day. Like what every other day doesn't really matter. You just need to show up on that one day and crush where like on the opposite side of the spectrum, when you're deployed down range, you're just like literally like going to war every day for like six months on your deployment, right? You need to be on top of your game for that sustained duration. So those are just considerations and how to think about the time horizon of what you're trying to optimize for. So those are just like some of the nuances there, but I think just broadly speaking, um, like some of the best practices is to, especially uh, earlier in a season away from the competition block is to mix in fasted workouts or low carbohydrate uh, ketogenic uh, diet to basically upregulate all your fat oxidation, right? So usually when you are kind of in off season mode, it's like your activity load drops and your caloric intake increases that likely reduces your ability to fat oxidize and you kind of can lose this and switch this on pretty quickly actually. So typically uh, as people are going back into season, it's generally has been, we've seen good results. If you do fasted workouts, um, meaning you go into like your, your aerobic workout without eating anything in the first thing in the morning, you burn through glycogen, you really upregulate fat oxidation and, and you, you will go into ketosis. Like your body will start converting its fat source into ketone bodies. Um, a lot of people will double down on that, um, eat a ketogenic diet. So low, uh, low carbohydrate, uh, for athletes, I would recommend higher protein. Um, a lot of people on a ketogenic diet for body composition or weight loss might moderate protein, but especially for athletes that are actually doing a lot of physical activity, uh, definitely two plus grams of per body weight kilogram of protein, if not more. Uh, like I think there's kind of a misconception where if you eat too much protein, you get kicked out of ketosis. Uh, I think that's like very much not a concern, especially if you are an athlete and you are exerting energy. Um, and then from fat sources, just try to choose healthier fats, meaning I would go less, move away from like seed oils, like soybean oil or corn, all these like processed vegetable oils. And I think one way to think about it is that like, have you ever seen like an oil come out of a sunflower? Maybe, you know, like, have you ever seen like oil, you squeeze a soybean? It's like, it, it doesn't really have oil in there. Like it's, these are hyper processed, which in itself doesn't have to be a bad thing. But I think the, the problem is that these get rancid really easily. They oxidize really easily. So that's the problem. Um, so uh, there's more of a nuance between animal fats, but you know, for sure, uh, you know, healthy, like grass fed or just more, uh, higher omega-3 content fat from animal products or fish generally tend to be considered more healthful or optimal fats or, or fats from uh, nuts, for example, or avocado. Um, so those would be some of the initial considerations. And then as you get closer to competition where these performances matter more, I would uh, start incorporating more carbohydrate as you go closer into competition. And then when you're actually competing the day of, have as much substrate across as possible. So like, and you, you talk to a lot of like ketogenic athletes, like even endurance athletes, even the most keto adapted athletes will have some sugar, whether it's in the form of honey or berries during their actual competition. 
And basically the, the intuition here is that train hard, compete easy, right? So like starve your body or like limit the substrate when you're training. So you maximize adaptation, recover as you train and train and train. And then on competition day, like boom, get like, like have that candy bar or that, you know, yeah, it's whatever. like the shook up soda can. You're just, you're agitating the beast and then able to kind of open it and let it do its thing. Exactly. So basically that's how that, that is kind of like the general premise in terms of peaking for competition. Um, and then of course, as you talk more about, uh, longer time horizon competitions, right? So if you're like downrange in a military context or, you know, you know, like it just like, like just like if you just need to compete for like seven days in a row, you might not want to like just blow out everything on just one specific day, right? So I think those are some of the moderation or, or considerations as you're planning out both your nutrition and your training blocks. Yeah, that's where I would say most practice days, if I, if I kind of have a pulse on what, you know, the head coach might do, because I don't always get the practice plan ahead of time. But if I, if I imagine it's going to be a more difficult, difficult skate, I'll definitely go in with a breakfast. I have done fasted practices over the course of a season, had uh, good success. I, I think was underdoing the carb a little bit just based on the amount of, uh, you know, f frankly, the amount of output uh, that we had. I mean, if you skate, let's say you play three games in a week. Uh, and then the other three days you're going to practice. So that's at least six days you're on the ice. And then uh, a good chunk of those game days, you'll actually pregame skate. So you might have nine skates in, in six days. And let's call the seventh um, a day off. So what I would oftentimes do is, is, you know, fuel up as needed, you know, sort of all the way through the week and then use my fasting protocol because we're eating late, you know, on that, let's call it the sixth day. Let's say it's a Saturday night game uh, and eat. I don't know, you know, 10 o'clock at night to, to sort of refuel. I'll fast all the way through that next day, you know, for dinner, for a Monday practice and, and the system sort of resets. Uh, but it's definitely something that the people that I've talked to have, you know, no one's gone in my understanding, fully ketogenic uh, from a team sport athlete, just because that general readiness that always needs to be present, similar to, you know, the military personnel would be on, on the range. Um, but we definitely use it as a tool, which I think is, that's all we're, we're trying to do is, is what in our toolbox can we use for the appropriate time to get the appropriate, you know, training response that we're looking for. Yeah, hundred percent. I think I would advocate or recommend pure keto for only very, very specific contexts. I think like, and and again, I think where people that are too focused on just like a keto macro is like miss the overarching point, which is that your body and your muscle uses glycogen, which is stored carbohydrate very, very efficiently. And yes, you can convert uh, fat on the glycerol backbone, or you can convert protein into glycogen through gluconeogenesis, but like that's not necessarily optimal, right? Like, yes, your body can work itself around and restore carbohydrate reserves, but you're for an elite athlete, right? You're up, you're literally that, that like you are competing and trying to gain those percentage points. Why are you making it harder for your body to replete glycogen, right? So I think that's where people need to like be less dogmatic. But, and again, as you're saying, these are tools and you have to use the right tool at the right time. Let's transition a little bit just to, I want to highlight and focus on your entrepreneurial journey and what really fuels you as a person. Cause I, I picture you, you know, growing up, you know, uh, going to work in the Silicon Valley world, you sell your first company in 2013 and there's a fork there. You, I'm sure you had, you know, a plethora of options, uh, in terms of where you wanted to take your talents. Um, you know, why go into, modern nutrition, why try to fight these big food companies that have had so much success since, you know, the forties and fifties and, and God bless them. Like you said, they solved a need, you know, in famine and the need to have, uh, you know, packaged stable foods and things like that. But what fuels you to go into this world? I think part of it is just what else, like, I don't know. I, I think that's like a, just an interesting existential question. I think just with the pandemic, we can all be more philosophical these days, but I think a part of it's that besides the need to eat, sleep, have shelter, procreate, like us as animals, we don't need that much more, right? Like mm -hmm. if you just ba boil it down to just being very, very simple. So I think fortunately, I think many of us 
have have solved those like basic animal requirements and it's just like okay we have limited time on this planet what are interesting questions or answers to understand and i think for me um as i kind of a nerd at heart um i just want to understand everything there is to know about the universe and then i'd be happy to pass away right like if if i have like a mission statement or a life statement i think it can be crystallized by that like i just want to learn everything there is to know about the universe and then happy to die and i think it's like a very interesting statement because it implies that one well, I think it's kind of tongue in cheek. Obviously, like it will be very, very hard to learn everything there is in the universe, but I think that's a good asymptote to aim for. I like goals that you can't hit because uh, it's always like a good North Star. And then two, I think it implies a lot of the things of, around longevity. Um, and I think some of the concepts there is like, how do, you how do you put yourself in a position to keep learning and learning more quickly, right? Like, and I think you've probably seen this in terms of your sophistication of like the level of sophistication that you learn from being a professional player versus a college player versus like a like a high school like like a like a like a like an under 18 player where like your skill sets have compounded aggressively through each stage and i think what i've seen is that each level that you progress whether it's through entrepreneurship or through understanding of an aspect of science is that uh like the people that you can relate to and then the access of the problems you get to solve are just like profoundly more interesting so for me, it's just like, I want to just continue to play it more and more interesting games. So in some sense, it's like, I am bored. So I want to just play interesting games. It's like the most, I think, uh, maybe flippant way of describing my interest. And I think I'm playing kind of interesting games, right? Like, it's awesome that I get to speak with you, who's a professional athlete, or I get to speak with and, and work with like top researchers at top universities and then work with, you know, the most elite military operators and then work with really cool people in Silicon Valley. It's just like, isn't that, isn't that just fun? Like I just get to like hang and riff it and is. chat with it the is. coolest freaking people. So in that sense, it's like, I'm just, I'm like, we're all just bored. We're all just like floating around on this like blue green planet. And can I just like make how the most fun on this planet? Um, but I think like, but, but of course that's a little bit of a flippant way to put it, but I think it is like, yeah, I think there's so much stuff to, learn about the world and if i can just continue to find and put myself in a position to learn quicker and quicker and quicker that just seems like a really good way to hit my end goal of learning everything yeah i mean that's the whole reason we're having this conversation the whole reason i have a podcast i'm sure you know colin steingard my producer who's you know muted on our, our screen uh is laughing right now because this was the conversation. I was like, okay, I'm in this world. I'm, I'm beyond grateful. I have a career in pro sport, but it is extremely selfish and myopic. It's the same thing every day. This element of, of Kaizen, you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to work on the same things every day. Uh, NHL gap, uh, my fluidity in skating, my ability to recognize breakout options every single day. And I love that. But I also love learning about other things. I love pulling other people's shirt that like, these are not the type of conversations that we have in NHL locker rooms. You know, it's usually about our four check or practice plan. Um, and I just wanted to find a way to help others, find a way to engage others curiosity as I so was. I wanted to, I loved the different, you know, talents and intellects that I could find in the podcast realm. And I was like, I, I want in. I, I want to be able to tug on these people's shirt and get an hour of their time too. Cause I think this stuff is fascinating to chew on. And, you know, so what, what I imagine is as you continue to climb this entrepreneurial ladder, you are able to rub elbows with, you know, more and more interesting people, more and more uh, people who are, you know, champions and domains that you care about. Who are some of your mentors uh, and how have they from a habits perspective, particularly shaped you? That's a good question. Um, yeah, I think uh, one quote I like is good artists copy, best artists steal. I don't know if that's, that's coming out correctly, but essentially like, yeah, I think that's the way to shortcut life is to like borrow, learn, take from the very, very best of people that you look up to. I think one thing that I prided myself when I was a kid was being good at what I did and then when I started talking to elite like Ironman champions, athletes, professional athletes, like name brand, like NFL players that people are, are fans of, it's like, hey, they, these guys are not just like physical specimens, right? Like these guys are actually intellectually curious and smart. And it's like, I should be pushing myself to be more physically adept. So I think I've just treated my training much more 
of a, of a serious way because in some sense like we're all playing the same journey right like we're all trying to self-actualize both physically and cognitively so i think from an athlete world i think it's like i've never been like a fan of sports i'll like watch sports but i think there's like a weird uh observation that i have in the sense that i feel like a lot of people like live their own ambition through their favorite sport team right i'm sure you have fans that say hey like we won and it's like no no you won i just watched you on tv and like i never like understood that gap and i don't mean to like demean fans i think we all need like the fans to support the the game but i think the only problematic part is when the fan goes into uh turning their ambition they can do to better themselves and they're just transplanting they're living vicariously through someone else's like fight and i think there's some value that we're living vicariously through celebrities or athletes but to put all of our ambition in someone else is i think problematic to make each of our individual selves better um but answering your question more directly um i'm just thinking in terms of just like kind of our our board um i work closely with uh general peter pace who is chairman of the joint chiefs of staff so the, the most senior military officer uh between 2004 and 2006 was vice chair of 2000 2004 so he oversaw a lot of the early uh global war on terror through 9-11 and i think through uh working with him i think i just saw a level of statesmanship of what it's like in terms of presence gravitas charisma as your briefing presidents you know you know making life or death decisions and he was talking about how uh I mean, the waterboarding decisions or like the torture decisions. I mean, just like how, how does one think through some of those like very, very interesting, hard questions that you read in like history books or there's like, that's being critiqued by like newspaper reporters, right? Um, so I think I've learned a lot from Pete on, on, on the type of charisma and statementship that is required to operate that level. And maybe to just give you like a initial, like just a personal anecdote, I remember when we first met him, he came and visited our office. He looked in everyone's eye, shook their hand and, and like got everyone's name. And then as he left, he remembered every single person's name. I'm like, damn, this guy is freaking good. Right. And it's just like, you just see this in action and you're like, it doesn't sound like it's like something that we probably like know that we should like, Hey, be good at remembering people's names. But I think people like don't actually do it. Right. It's like, Oh, I'm bad at remembering names. I, I don't think that I don't I don't believe that for a second. It's just like you don't care enough to just actually try to remember like Connor, Colin, right? Like you actually like think, remember, put it in your brain. And like a lot of these small details adds up. So I think I just like pulled that away from just like we are people and you need to treat everyone with respect. And, and I think that that's like an interesting lesson. Um, I think I would consider one of my other uh, I consider him a friend or a mentor, uh, this gentleman named Alex Krongard. He served 31 years in the Navy. He stood up SEAL Team 7 as the first commanding officer, uh, ran the West Coast SEAL teams. And I think one thing that I've learned from, you know, spending a lot of time with him and just talking about life is that a lot of the problems that I think we face outside of war are pretty trivial. And in, 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 in some sense, that gives me a lot more freedom of action and confidence, but also uh, respect to, to, to like the opportunity and the luxury that we have. In the sense that like when I wake up, no one's trying to kill me, right? Like, like when you wake up, like the worst thing that could probably happen to you is that you lose your game or something, right? Like obviously like it can be more nightmarish things, especially with the pandemic and all of that. But I think it's like we are actually so goddamn lucky that like no one's like literally trying to murder you like every freaking day. And I, I, and I think that's been an important part of my psychology in terms of like the gratefulness or the abundance attitude. Like, hey, we get to play really fun games, right? The games that we get to play is not like, I need to worry about if I'm gonna like have a mortar dropped on my head, right? The games I get to play are like, hey, how do I, you know, make cool, better products? How do I educate more people? How do I push this technology or that technology? Uh, which is like all fun and games if you think about for a lot of our history, a lot of our ancestors literally were like, I don't know what my next meal is. So I think that has put in a lot of perspective for me in terms of having like a grateful, abundant mindset to want to focus on problems. And just, I, I think having that kind of fortunate, like happy mindset definitely helps put, put into position 
like the, the like absolutely stressful times. I'm sure like as you're, you know, making it up the ranks in professional sport, like I'm sure you're like, oh shit, am I going to like make it, right? Like all of us had to like cross some of these challenges and, and the same thing for business as you're raising additional capital or like you need this one deal to go your way or this, you know, legal issue has to go that way. There's absolutely stressful points. And I think the question is how do you, take all of those in strut. And I think having the more larger global perspective that these are very, very almost trivial games makes me more fearless to be very, very aggressive on these games. Cause like, I'm not making life or death decisions, right? Like my, my decisions are pretty much like, do I get to work on this problem at the billion dollar scale or the hundred million dollar scale, or the $10 million scale. And it's like, those are all pretty damn fine outcomes, you know? Um, so those are just like two examples top of mind in terms of like just people that, um, might not necessarily be a household names, but have just definitely made an impact uh, on me personally in terms of my mindset and and some like nuggets and like lessons that uh, that have resonated with me. And maybe just like like open up the conversation a little bit. I think the great thing about internet, I think the great thing about podcasts and 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 being able to tap into the history of all of humans is that. I think the choice of who you spend time with is very, very important. And because you can kind of like basically teleport into our conversation, you can get a sense of both your and my mindset if you're just listening online. And I, 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 when I, I like reading Marcus Aurelius's journals, right? He's a Roman emperor who was uh, running Rome, the Roman empire as barbarians were invading. And it was like just very, again, interesting to understand his stoic philosophy as he's writing down his stress and how he's he's dealing with you know getting invaded by barbarians and how he's like holding together this empire and i think you can probably relate towards i i i've read a lot of like eastern philosophy as well like zen cohen's right these are these very cryptic short like nonsensical statements but i feel like it's also very stoic in some sense i feel like there's been a lot of smart people over the millennia that have been thinking about how to be a better human what's a better mindset. And I see that we're all, I think, describing the same truth, but using different words, different symbols. And to me, it's like, how do I understand, like try to absorb as many of these symbols and these frameworks as possible and what resonates best with like my view of the world, my, 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 my tiny slice of, of reality. Well, I really appreciate you sharing that. Cause you know, I've read a decent amount of, uh, Stoic philosophy, a lot of Ryan Holiday's work who kind of digest it for someone who might be reading it in the West. And, you know, I was reading the the Daily Stoic and it's fascinating, like the issues and problems that the Stoic thinkers were battling and how similar those principles still apply today. And, yeah. you know, I think uh, we share that respect for our military uh, personnel. I had Randy Hetrick on the podcast, who's the founder of TRX. And we were talking a little bit about just some of the sobering perspective you can gain when you listen to a military personnel share their story. I was talking to uh, Justin Hall, we had on the podcast, Ronald, uh, Maple Leaf defenseman. And we used to do this test. We had Lou Lamarillo, who was this, you know, GM in, in uh, the NHL, had been around for 30, 40 years. And he had this brutal uh, treadmill test that you had to do on the first day of training camp. It was the Bruce, it's a, it's a stress test. It's a, yep. it's a run until you can no longer run. It's nothing, you know, too creative. It's not fun. Your legs don't feel, you know, like you, you don't feel like skipping when you're done with it. And I remember talking to Halsey prior to the treadmill run and, you know, guys are a little worked up. There's, you know, you can hear it in their voice. They're a little a bit of nervous energy. They're going to go through something physically very demanding. Uh, mentally, we're going to have to push themselves. And Halsey was like, yeah, I'm not super worried about it. I remember talking to him. He's like, I was you know, reading this book about, you know, an amputee in war who, you know, had their limbs blown off, uh, in their, in their, that was their loss, you know? So what, yeah. what is your loss as an athlete? Oh, you had a bad game. Like some people booed you, but did you die? <laughs> you know, like, yeah. uh, there's a physical element. Of course we can, you know, get hurt every night, but still it's that, uh, so you think you have an issue, you know, so you think you have a problem and, and when you're able to apply these giants, the, the knowledge and the wisdom that they've been able to uh, gain and have been, you know, so kind to share. I think that anytime we can achieve, you know, a more sobering perspective, be able to, it's something I write down in my journal. 
uh, every day is like think and feel long term, but act in the short term. You know, when you're able to kind of operate in that heart zone and you do need some strategy, but when you're able to feel like, Connor, what's important to me on the long term? uh, And then when I'm able to consider that I need to act in the short term, it makes it much more digestible. And I always love asking, you know, people like yourself who are so thoughtful and curious, frankly, what, you know, pulls you in the right direction, what continues to fuel you as you, you know, uh, continue on to bigger and better dreams. And I guess we only have, I guess, 10 more minutes or so. Um, so I want to be respectful of your time today, but for HVMN, for, you know, for Jeffrey Wu, what is next? Like you've got a, a, a really strong base, uh, on how far you've come at this stage in your life. But when you pick your head up and, and really start to, you know, lick your chops at what's next, what excites you? Yeah, all of, uh, I think what you see publicly and more, right? So I think um, we just made like the first initial foray into, I think, making an impact on a modern nutrition system, right? We just launched uh, these awesome keto food bars. I got to send you some if you don't, if you haven't they already tried awesome. them. They look awesome. No, I was, uh, I, I really try my best to support anyone that I get, I, I get on the podcast. So yeah. I will be stocking, uh, I'll, be stocking I'll send you some, sure. we'll, we'll talk offline, but I appreciate we'll, we'll send that, you yeah. a kit. They look um, awesome. Yeah, no, they're, uh, they're, they're, yeah, they're, they one taste delicious and two, they actually essentially are a fasting mimetic. They do not hit your blood glucose at all, but you know, grass fed collagen, everything certified organic. So just like, I think just hitting all the requirements that we saw in the bar market. Right. So excited to bring that out. We have a couple other interesting stuff that we're working R and D for next year on the product line. And then two, just on the overall mission. Yeah. Like I think the, the coolest part about my job is to just, yeah, I think you put it quite nicely, just rub elbows with the best of their field. And like what I've observed is that every single power ladder goes up to the same group. It's just the same game. We're all playing different manifestations of the same game. Like if you're the best, politician, general, business person, athlete, you're at like the same party, right? And you're just like, oh yeah. And then, and then you kind of see behind that curtain, it's like, oh, like I kind of now know how the world works. It's just like, there's different le- levels of the club and it's just like, how high can you go to enter like the highest level of that game or that club? And I think it's, and I think it's both like inspiring and humbling at the same time, which is that people have obviously done so well to like, keep, I mean, I think you do well by like helping a lot of people, right? If you are Jeff Bezos, you literally probably kept Americans alive through this pandemic, right? And like you're a 200 billionaire and you're super rich, but you probably deserve a lot of that credit because you actually helped a lot of people. And, uh, but I think when you talk to some of these guys that they're like not a 10,000 times smarter than you or me, they're just not like, I, I actually, you know, just like, just because DoorDash just went public yesterday, those guys were my college buddies. Like uh, one of the co-founders, Stanley Tang was like a mentee I had in the, like he was like a junior person that I was mentoring in the entrepreneurship club at Stanford. The kid's a billionaire now. And it's just like, man, like friggin' awesome, right? But like, is he a billion times smarter than you, Connor? Like, absolutely not. Is he smart? Of course. Did he work really hard? Of course. Did he like have some good lucky breaks? Of course. But it's like, is he 10,000 bajillion times smarter than us? No. And I think that's inspiring where it's like possible, but it's also humbling because you need so many things to go right. And you need to like not give up and all these things that we talk about all day long. So I think just within Silicon Valley, like I think if you've been in the Valley long enough, it just like, like that, like we've all had stories like that, right? Like my co-founder, uh, Michael, like they were recruiting him to be like the fourth employee at Snapchat. So like they, they flew him out down to their Venice beach house back when it was just like a little frat house, essentially coding. And he was like, ah, I don't, I think this is not that cool. Apparently. And like, this is kind of like a funny anecdote. Uh, my, my, my co-founder Michael literally sent Evan Spiegel, the CEO of Snapchat, like, Hey, you should, you should take the smiley face out of the ghost of that little logo. And then like, like a year later, they actually like did it. And he's like, 
who knows if that was like actually the catalyst, but it's kind of funny just to like see that email track record and like go see the histories of some of these like iconic companies. So I like I just bring that up not as like a way to brag, but just like a way to just uh, just share that like these are all normal people. Like I'm sure like when people look up to you, like hey, uh, like you're a professional hockey player. That's like so cool. Like you're an alien to them. And I think dude, hopefully through your platform, it's like no, we're not aliens. Like you're not an alien. Like you're you're like a human. And you've obviously done some good stuff with your life. And like, we're all still doing better stuff with our life, but it's possible. You just need to stack it up and like, again, be smart. You gotta, you gotta be clever. You gotta like have things compound, but it's not impossible. You know, there's a parallel, I think in pro sport where it's extremely similar. Like there's a lot of talented hockey players and the pyramid at the top is so tight. It's so competitive. The difference between you know, the guy that's on your first power play unit versus your second power play unit versus the guy that's not on a power play unit at all. It's so tight. And as a player, all you're trying to do is stick around, you know, through work ethic, uh, through, you know, proper detail. You're just trying to maximize the surface area of your luck, really. And I think as a player, like I have the same amount of respect for the guy that did it right every day, was talented, showed up for two, five, ten years and then came on to be a bonafide superstar versus the guy that showed up every day for two, five, 10 years, maybe had a meddling career, maybe had some tough breaks with injury. Like I really do look at those two guys very similarly. And if you were to ask both of them, both of them have that sort of reflection where they're like, yeah, I had a great career. I had some coaches put me in good spots. I play with some good line mates and it's a tough league, but I was able to, you know, score some key goals versus yeah, man. Like I, I, I had fun. It wasn't always a career I wanted, but I'm proud of the way I, you know, competed day in, day out. And, uh, you know, now that it's all over, I'll, I'll chalk it up and, and try and do something else. So it's fascinating that that parallel exists in the entrepreneurial world. Like you have to, there are these core principles that have to show up across no matter what the discipline is. And then hopefully you get some secret sauce. Hopefully you get some luck in there. Yeah. hundred percent. Might have to just leave it at that and maybe do a part two next time. Thank you to all of our listeners for joining uh, Jeff and I in our conversation today. If you want to follow him on Instagram, he's at, at Jeffrey Wu, G E O F F R E Y W O O. And that's uh, the social media platform that he's most active on. Or you can find him uh, on his own podcast where he talks, and I'm sure uh, in the podcast I've listened to, a little bit further uh, on metabolic flexibility and some of the health concepts that we covered. Uh, today, the HVMN podcast. As far as recap points, there were three things that I always pick three things, but there, I do want to focus on uh, these points that I was really impressed with today and, and am, am still chewing on as the podcast is over. One is that this elite performance, no matter the discipline, it leaves, pl- uh, leaves, clues, leaves clues. Jeff is this highly curious person. He has this deep why and, and, and fuel source in terms of how he wants to improve uh, others' lives and, and how he consciously chose such a demanding uh, field, but frankly, righteous. He wants to contribute uh, to his community. And I think that his work ethic uh, was on display in, in terms of just how well thought out he was and, and you know, how he describes his, his workflow and his process. So this, this concept that elite performance leaves clues, I think, shined uh, out throughout this podcast. Second, I really appreciated when Jeff was talking about this concept of stress and how stress is not necessarily your enemy. Uh, your enemy is being out of touch with your stress, it, where, where you're either understressed or overstressed and not uh, using recovery techniques or lifestyle uh, habits to recalibrate uh, in response to whatever it is you're going through, maybe physically or mentally in your life, because mental stress uh, will affect the nervous system just as physical stress would. And third, I want to take a moment uh, to finish with and, and appreciate Jeff's sense of personal responsibility. He clearly in his life, uh, through the selection of his board and, and who he goes into business with, he purposefully curates a personal environment Uh, in a professional environment that allows him to continue to learn and be his best as a business leader and as a forward thinker. I think that uh, oftentimes we can have grand personal goals uh, as people, but we have to frame this question, 
how can I do this? How would I do this goal, pursue this goal, achieve this goal more easily? What would uh, sort of my dream team look like and, and build a culture around that? If you want to become a better skater, say, for example, as a hockey player, don't go through all the trial and error on your own. Uh, hire a coach. Find somebody who's an excellent skater and can uh, help teach you that. Similar, if you're, if you're not scoring goals and you want to score more goals, find somebody uh, that you look up to as a goal scorer and, and find success stories who have modeled the success and behavior that you so seek. And I, I really appreciate Jeff uh, sharing different examples that he's been able to do that in his career. So for our listener, thank you for joining yet another episode of the Curious Competitor podcast. Thank you for helping me along my journey to continue to become a more curious competitor. And I do ask uh, as you leave today to comment, like, subscribe, leave five stars on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you catch uh, your podcast, Patreon. And uh, thank you for all your support week in, week out. I look forward to doing it again next week.